0: Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome back to the third episode of Out of Place Season 2. Just a few quick things to talk about, and then this week's episode. First, if you want to support the show, there's now more ways to do that. The first is by heading to MidnightDisease.net slash join, where for $5 a month you can get early and ad-free access to all of the Midnight Disease shows like Out of Place, Margaret's Garden, The Hotel, The Theater of Tomorrow, and more. The second new option is the Apple Podcast subscription feature. Uh, you'll notice if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts right now, there's a little button that says subscribe for seven fifty. dollars And if you do that, you'll not only get ad-free versions of all of our out-of-place episodes, but you'll also get ad-free and bonus episodes from Margaret's Garden and SCP Archives, with some more shows coming very soon. Those are two great ways to support the show. The third one is to simply leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth recommendations go way farther than any uh, Facebook or Twitter advertisement ever will. So if you love the show, those are three easy ways that you can support us and help us do what we do. Without further ado, episode three. <music> Thank mm-hmm.
1: When I first joined the project, I knew it would change everything. Just learning that it existed changed things enough. I, I thought it was some shadow government thing, a sort of scientific deep state that siphoned off tax dollars to do things that physics said were impossible. Or maybe an international cabal funded by rich people to do science without worrying about any nation's laws. It was curiosity, honestly, that made me follow them further when they approached me. I just wanted to see what it was, whether it was real. The only smart thing would have been to refuse and disappear somewhere far away, a log cabin in the woods with no phone or internet. But I'm not smart. Not in the ways that really count. Then Director Beckman explained to me that the project explored different dimensions where history had played out differently, that it was learning how to tweak those dimensions' history to change their present, that the project's board had a very specific present it wanted to create. The only way to deal with something like that is to act like it's completely normal. If there's one thing us homo sapiens are good at, it's acting like everything's fine, and day-to-day the project is very normal. I'm in an office building in New Mexico on a corporate campus that looks like it might have once been an airbase. It's all grey carpets and air conditioning. Presumably the other sites are more peculiar. The one the field team's based at, for instance, or the facility I understand was set up around the Trinity Dimensional Bridge. But this one's just a bunch of offices. I have a desk in a cubicle on the floor of the IT support guys and the logistics team. I head down to the cafeteria for lunch each day and go home to my apartment in the dorm block. I swap small talk with Eli, the more vocal of the IT guys, and take part in the weekly quiz run by Karen from finance. If I squint, I could be living the dull and normal life I always assumed was ahead of me. I think it's deliberate. If we thought too much about what we do, if we were immersed in it, our civilians would fall apart. The more military types can probably cope better, but not us backroom drones. The field teams have a whole medical and psychological recovery complex, and even then, it can't be enough. This very normal feeling day involved my writing up the report for the field team's last mission. The Extant program identified this target world with orbital probes like usual, but the readings themselves were strange. From orbit, the world's cities were easily visible, but they were dark, and at the same time, something was drawing huge amounts of power... Another anomaly was the presence of enormous rectangular buildings, up to several kilometres in length, in or adjoining all the world's population centres. The lack of activity suggested a world in which humanity had become extinct or at least had been radically transformed. The single active site and the changes to all the major cities compared to our own timeline pointed to something other than a destructive event or pandemic. The team was dispatched to find out what had happened. The target for the Dimensional Breach was the Qatari Peninsula on the outskirts of the capital city, Doha. This city included some of the huge structures the probes had spotted, so both this anomaly and the source of the heat and power spikes could be investigated at once. The Dimensional Breach occurred at approximately 10 meters above the ground and within 100 meters of the target location, the team had been issued hot weather gear in addition to their normal survival package. The temperature was just short of 100 Fahrenheit. Private Sanditch complained about the conditions. Sergeant Brand explained that he did not control the weather. The team's immediate objective was the closest of the large rectangular buildings. It was more than 2,000 meters long by 300 wide and 20 meters high. Without windows or markings and only a few closed entrances along the short side. This structure was on the edge of the city and was visible from the team's breach location. In addition, they confirmed with binoculars that several smaller structures on the coast to the south of Doha appeared to be tidal power plants. The team's immediate objective was the closest of the large rectangular buildings. It was more than 2,000 meters long by 300 wide and 20 high, without windows or markings and only a few closed entrances along the short side. This structure was on the edge of the city and was visible from the team's breach location. The team approached the nearest door in the rectangular building while observing several vents and funnels indicating a climate control system. The set of double doors proved to be welded shut, and since carry weight in the dimensional breach capsule is always at a premium, they had not brought any cutting gear that could open it up. Instead, the team reached one of the vents in the side of the building and tore it from its mounting opening up a gap too small for any of them to climb through, but just large enough one of the photography drones operated by Warrant Officer Poulter. The drone was equipped with active illumination night vision, so was able to bring back images from the darkened interior. Poulter recorded and observed the drone's output from a laptop computer. The building was divided into seven compartments running the width and length of the structure. Inside each were sets of bunk beds, stacked five high. Each one was open on one side, with a storage box and television screen mounted above the mattress. Poulter compared them to the sleeping pods in a capsule hotel. Each compartment had a set of rooms separated by thin interior walls, but not ceilings, which comprised communal bathroom and dining facilities. The ceiling had vents and pipes for air conditioning and banks of machinery, presumably to maintain the climate, but none of these were functioning. Poulter lowered the drone to examine the bunks. The first was occupied by a mummified corpse lying on top of the bare mattress. It still wore a pair of undershorts and a vest. Though it was difficult to make out any details, the corpse appeared to have desiccated rather than decomposed with the skin remaining intact and shrinking around the skeleton. The sex could not be determined. There was no other clothing or belongings apparent. All five bunks in the stack contained bodies in a similar condition. All the bunks visible to the drone's camera appeared to contain bodies, too. Polter estimated that if it was indeed fully... occupied... the building could hold upwards of 20,000 bodies. With the number of other structures outside Doha, this was enough to contain the entire population of Qatar. The team speculated the building had been hit by a poison gas attack. told well, since it had been sealed before the team removed the vent... That its machinery provided a breathable atmosphere and that this machinery had failed, leading to the asphyxiation of its occupants. There was no sign of panic or attempts to escape, however. All the bodies were just lying on their bunks. And there was no suggestion of why so many people would be lying in an airtight building in the first place when the city of Doha next door appeared intact. The state of mummification could be explained by an extremely dry environment inside the structure and the way it was sealed, keeping out insects and animals, which suggested they had all died where they were lying and had not been brought in from elsewhere. However they died, it had been all at the same time. No one had tried to save them. No one retrieved the bodies afterwards. The team continued towards the city of Doha. Though the city showed no signs of destruction, it quickly became apparent the buildings had been decommissioned. The doors and windows were boarded up or sealed with sheets of plastic, and the interiors had been stripped of anything perishable. There were no signs of an evacuation of the city. It was more a deliberate and unhurried mothballing. The streets were empty of cars, which were parked in underground lots or garages. The billboards were empty of advertising the sounds, not only of engines and voices, but of the processes of the city, were absent. There was no buzzing of power lines or rumble of machinery. The artificially maintained vegetation of the city had wilted and sand had blown in from outside, but apart from this, there were few indications of how long it had been abandoned. In our timeline, Doar has a population of more than 800,000 people, but the field team did not encounter any signs of habitation. The team moved through the industrial and partially constructed districts to the south towards the center of the city where skyscrapers and luxury hotels crowded up against the harbor front. They found the situation the same everywhere they went. Buildings empty and sealed off, hotels with bare lobbies, shops with empty shelves and offices with chairs neatly stacked on the tables. The team paused to rest and eat using the supply of water they brought with them as they could find no working sources in the city. Warrant Officer Poulter surveyed their surroundings by drone and noted a cluster of large, low buildings on land originally used by the Hamad International Airport. The airport was one of the city's most prominent features since the city was extremely rich thanks to Qatar's oil wealth, and a majority of the population were either wealthy or were expatriates who came there to work from elsewhere. Air traffic was therefore vital to the city's functioning. The land previously taken up by its runways, however was now occupied by new structures that were unlike the ones outside the city that had proved to be full of bodies. The team elected to explore these structures next, since the rest of the city seemed to be yielding little information. The team is encouraged not to speculate too much on the things they find in the field, but they're only human. I doubt I could hold off making guesses in their position. Private Quintero believed it was mass suicide of the kind seen with some religious cults. A private Sanditch espoused a complicated scenario where the city was gassed with a mind-control substance that caused the inhabitants to march, zombie-like, into the huge structures where they were forced to work for an evil overlord before being sealed in to die. Sergeant Brand ordered Sanditch to cease expounding on this narrative. Approaching the airport, it became clear the anomalous complex was centred around a cube-shaped building with reflective outer walls and that the smaller buildings around it were supplying it with power. The sound of machinery could be heard from within them, and Poulter speculated there were multiple redundant systems ensuring an uninterrupted energy supply. The team expected to have to make their own way in, but were surprised to find a set of automatic doors at ground level that opened when they approached, revealing a lobby of chrome and white marble inside. They entered with Brand ordering the team to advance as if expecting hostile contact. They reported the building was air-conditioned and so much colder than the outside climate it caused them discomfort. They moved further into the building, entering a narrow corridor which caused them alarm when the door sealed behind them. Warrant Officer Poulter realized this was a decontamination procedure. The glass enabled them to see that the majority of the building was full of square towers of dark grey material that continued far underground, connected by wires and bundles of cables. It was here... The team made contact. Poulter, you know what all this crap is? It looks like a server room.
2: A big one. That's why this place is so cold. It must work better at lower temperatures. Server? For what? Hey, you think this is
1: bulletproof? Sandic, don't touch anything! I wasn't gonna. Just thought if we could get through it, you know, Poulter could hook something up. But something. No other ways out of here. I don't like this. Poulter, get some photos, then we get out of here. If there's
3: any- State your purpose. Hold fire, hold fire! Quintero, see anyone? Nothing, Sarge. I take it you are ignorant of my nature.
2: It's coming over a broadcast system.
3: Can it hear us? Who are you? I am a General Artificial Intelligence referred to as Urania. Created according to recommendation of the United Nations resolution on the universal availability of transformative technology.
2: A general AI, that's big. We got anything like this back on baseline? Only in theory, there isn't enough processing power on the planet to make it happen
3: though. I guess this planet had enough. Are you like fucking Skynet or something? Jesus Sandy, shut the hell up. My purpose is exclusively non-military. See? You fucking knew what I meant! Okay. Urania? What happened here? This structure was built over 22 years for the purpose of housing the necessary servers and support facilities for me to function. This location was chosen because of its low likelihood of natural disasters. I mean... to the city. Doha. The city of Doha was reduced in capacity according to the change in its active population. This was achieved in stages over 12 years.
2: We need to change our frame of reference here. This thing doesn't exist in our timeline. It can't. This AI's existence is the point of divergence. It's what killed everyone? Maybe. Fucking told you so, freaking Skynet, man. You might want to handle this, Poulter. Shit's too Star Trek for me. Urania, what were you designed for?
3: To serve humankind.
2: Can you be more specific?
3: It was decided sometime before my creation that the object of international government should be increasing human happiness. However, it was impossible to determine the best way to do this within the limitations of human philosophy. The question simply could not be answered by a human mind. In addition, all possible solutions had their opponents as well as adherents. Therefore, it was decided before the question could be answered. An entity would have to be created capable of answering it. That entity was me. Uh, Who built you? A coalition of all nations pooled their resources and knowledge. The cause of human happiness was deemed to supersede national allegiances.
1: (laughs) Seems real understanding of them.
3: It was. So... What was the answer? Hey, you sure you want to know the answer? Maybe that's what killed everyone. What? Just
1: knowing it? Wouldn't be the weirdest thing to take out the planet. What was the answer? The answer was to instill
3: a state of bliss in every human being. I judged this to be the most effective way of increasing human happiness. In retrospect, it was a far simpler calculation than my creators anticipated. Bliss? A state of perfect happiness, or joy. The core of happiness is contentment, the absence of want, a sense of completeness and satisfaction with one situation. This was achieved by a combination of psychotherapy and pharmaceuticals. My processing power was sufficient to create a tailored solution for every individual, as each human is different.
2: So you got everyone stoned? (laughs) No. Those in this state of contentment were fully in possession of their mental
3: and physical faculties. So how the hell did everyone die? The most common causes are ischemic heart disease, stroke, chronic pulmonary disease, respiratory infections, complications from-
2: That's the wrong question. I I don't think anything killed them. Not anything unusual, at least. Hell of a lot of dead people around if nothing killed anyone. Urania, there are buildings full of dead bodies outside the city. How did they get there?
3: Uh, The population migrated there over the years following the implementation of the Happiness Solution.
2: But why?
3: Lacking dissatisfaction with one's surroundings, minimal accommodation is preferable to a large and wasteful home. In addition, removing a desire to accumulate material belongings obviates the need for storage space. Existing forms of housing were considered useless and wasteful, and the communal living spaces were preferred.
2: But why'd they die? Everyone dies. I told you, Sarge. That's the wrong question. I'm waiting to hear the right one. So what do we ask it? <laughs> I don't think it realizes what we mean about everyone dying. It doesn't view this as the end of the world, or at least it doesn't see it as a bad thing. Hey, maybe if we tell it to define love as something, we can defeat it. What are you talking about now, Sandic? It's evil, right? This fucking thing killed everybody. That's what we're thinking, right? Maybe. It, it might not see it as killing, though. What's that number that doesn't end? Like three point something? Pie? Yeah, tell it to count to pie. It'll go all crazy. We can kick its ass.
0: We're not trying to kick anything. Why didn't they have any kids? Complete satisfaction with one's situation removes
3: the sex drive. Sexual desire is a consequence of feeling unfulfilled and incomplete. In addition, a lack of yearning to leave a legacy made artificially created births undesirable. Both the desire for sex and the desire to have children are significant cause of unhappiness. When they were removed, neither occurred. The birth rate dropped to zero. Jesus.
2: Didn't you realize that people would stop reproducing?
3: I did. That was an inevitable consequence of universal happiness.
2: So, why did you do it?
3: My purpose was to increase human happiness. That purpose did not necessarily require indefinite continuation of human existence. You let the world die. They died happy Okay, okay, I've heard enough Let's get out of here before I trash this thing
1: When I think about Urania I think about the contradiction in all of us We want to be happy It's pretty much the only thing that matters But it's being unhappy that makes us do anything it's wanting something we don't have, things, experience a meaning to our life. Children. It's wanting happiness itself that makes us do all the things human to do. The people who programmed Urania did it too well. The AI created a perfect state of happiness and humanity died out. Not because it wanted to or because anything forced them to, but because they didn't care. That's what true happiness is. It's a state of not caring about anything, even the end of the world. The team returned from the airport to the capsule. They returned to within 40 minutes and 200 meters of their intended bridge point. They were debriefed and monitored, as always. I understand the tech guys were particularly interested in the technology of the server room where Urania was contained. The AI was named after the ancient Greek muse of history. Ah, ironic, considering it brought about the end of history. I suppose the development of an artificial intelligence that brings about our extinction counts as an existential threat, but I have to admit I thought it would be more malicious than the one the team found in Doha. I can't even say it's objectively bad. Urania was right. Everyone died happy. and more than can be said for most of us. Is ending the species a bad thing if there is no more misery? Thankfully, it's not my job to come up with answers to any of that. I'll leave it to Director Beckman and the project board. At least it'll remind us to include a don't-end-civilization instruction in any AI the project creates. The project wants to create a perfect world. A timeline where none of the bad things in history ever happened. It's a laudable aim, I suppose. It was enough to convince me to join up. But after reviewing what the team brought back from Urania's timeline, I have to say, the only perfect world we've ever seen didn't last for very long.
0: Out of Place was written and created by Ben Counter. Our sound design and music was done by Dana Creasman. Our show is produced by Pacific S. Obadiah. Andrew was Ben Counter. Grant was Damon Alums. Sandich was Lexi Edwards. Quintero was Luis Bermudez. Poulter was Russell Moore. And Computer was Richie Ammons. This is a Midnight Disease production. For more information... Is MidnightDisease.net.